I'm also going to backtrack a little bit. I know, we finally got out of chapter 1. But I felt like I rushed through the last three verses, last three or four verses, and uh, when I went back and looked at them, I thought, these are too important for me to just gloss over and move on. So um, today's message is, we love because we live. We love because we live, and we live because he lives, which like we just sang, okay? So um, we love because we live. We're alive in Christ, and therefore we're compelled to love. And Peter's going to He's going to basically talk about that. So um, uh, one of the things I do when I prepare a message is I do use other commentaries to read and to think through the passage from a fresh perspective, hear somebody else's thoughts, that kind of thing, see what I missed, see what I, looking sometimes for answers that I don't understand what this passage says. And one of the guys I've been going to for First Peter, his name is David Helms. I've actually sat under his teaching a few times when he's done um, expository preaching workshops here in the area. And he, he writes the commentary um, for First Peter out of the Preach the Word series. And he tells a story about when he was in middle school. And he was in school at, he was, um, he was in, he was living in Illinois. His dad was a coach at Judson College. These were in the days uh, as soldiers were coming back from Vietnam. And so some of them would go in GI Bill, they'd go to college. And he was at, there's this, so his dad was a coach there. And so he would go to his dad's office a lot, and he would, you know, see students on campus, and he'd be at this gym there on campus at Judson College. It's on the, what river? Some river. Uh, Knox River. Does that sound right? Fox River. There's, it's the Fox River. It runs right along campus. I think that's right. Anyway, in the winter, he was looking out the window from the gym, and he, no, and he noticed something he had seen a lot. And it was this particular man that was out by the river, and he was feeding the ducks, and it's icy and cold and snowy or whatever, you know, just really that time of year when the river's frozen and, and he has to break the ice up so the ducks can get to the water if they want water. And apparently, this, this was this guy's pattern. He did this all the time, every day, like every day. And he's a student on campus going out feeding the ducks in the cold of winter and breaking up the ice. And so he asks his dad, what's up with that, you know, um, and his dad says, well, he's, he's back from the war. And his story is that when he was in Vietnam on the ground, a lot of his platoon had gotten shot and killed. And they were being overrun by the Viet Cong. And so everybody, all the soldiers did what, you know, when you're desperate and you don't have anywhere to run, you just fall on the ground and pretend you're dead and hope they don't realize it. And so the Viet Cong's doing what they would normally do, which was as they're walking through in all the bodies, they're just shooting through the head of every corpse making sure that the person was not faking it, and that's happening, and he's hearing them get closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, a, and I looked this up, and even Google doesn't really know what they're called, so I'm going to call it a flock of ducks, okay? I think it's called a team or a raft of ducks, which is, you know, they take off flying. And the, the soldiers that are shooting in the, through the heads of all the American soldiers on the ground, they, they get distracted by the ducks, and they start shooting at the ducks, and then they start following, looking for the ducks they've hit, so they, I guess they're looking for something to eat. And they quit shooting soldiers, and he lives, and he gets home because of the ducks. That's, so you see, you see, he loves those ducks on campus because he lives because of those ducks. And that, in a kernel, nutshell, acorn shell, is what today is about. It's being so grateful for the love of God in your life that you can't help but live for him. I mean, you can't help it. It's just, it's just in you, and it's got to get out. And it's going to come out through your actions. It's going to come out through your words. It's going to come through your attitudes. 
whether things are going well or whether things are going poorly, it's going to come out. And that doesn't mean you're always going to be perfect and right and all that, but it's there because you're reminded, I should be dead. Okay? We're all born into this world dead in our sins. No exceptions. Okay? Born sinners. That's why we sin. That's why we don't have to be taught how to sin. Okay? And But God has made a way in his mercy for us to find life again, and it's through Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus taught there's a broad road, and most people are on that road heading to destruction, eternal separation from God. But Jesus said there's also a narrow path that few find, but it leads to life, and Jesus is on that road leading us to follow him. And that's what I'm trying to do, and I hope that's what many of you are trying to do. I'm saying, follow me, imperfect though I am, as I follow him, perfect though he is. Because he is the way and the truth and the life. So that's really, and so what does that look like? And Peter's going to talk about the motivations behind it, and he's going to talk about how we do that in these verses here as he transitions from this chapter about this living hope. So I'm going to start in verse 22 of chapter 1. And uh, Peter is writing, so if, if you've not been a part of this series at all, Peter is called First Peter. It's a letter that Peter wrote in the mid-60s. And I don't mean the 1960s, I mean the 60s. Oh, ought 60, right? 65-ish. And he wrote this letter to encourage Christians in the region that today is called Turkey, but modern day, it was called Galatia back then, or Asia Minor. And the Christians in that region were very, um, were very discouraged and afraid because they were being persecuted, because they were a minority in, in the midst of a minority, Okay. They, you have the Roman Empire who was persecuting anybody that didn't worship the Roman and Greek gods and the emperor. Okay, that would be the Jews and the Christians. And then you have the Jews who were a minority in the Roman Empire who were persecuting the Christians who were a minority amongst the Jews because they were talking about Jesus being the Messiah of the Jews and they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah of the Jews because if they, would, if they did, they wouldn't be a Jew anymore. They'd be a, a Christian. They'd be following the, the Messiah. And so they were being persecuted. So they're a very, very small number, and they're, you know, it's very easy to be discouraged. You and I know what it's like to be discouraged by our trials and tribulations in life. Okay? They're questioning, attempted to be questioning their faith. Okay? It's not necessarily something we haven't experienced ourselves. And so Peter writes this letter to encourage them and to, and, and to remind them who they are and why that matters. Okay? You have this living hope, and this living hope is Jesus Christ, Christ in you. Okay, the hope of glory. So then Peter is writing this letter, and he says, starting in verse 22, now, now that you have been purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Okay, so he starts off by saying, now that you have been purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Okay, so the question that this might bring to some of your minds is, okay, so all I have to do is obey the truth and I'm saved, right? And the answer is yes and no, okay? Because we don't do anything simply around here, okay? The answer is yes, if you're obeying the Word of God because of your salvation in Christ, then yes, to obey Him out of the gratitude and, and just hunger and desire to know and follow Christ, it makes sense that you would obey the Word of God and walk in it. But if you're obeying the Word of God so that God will save you, to earn His favor and salvation, then that doesn't work, okay? That, that's called works salvation, okay? That means, I'm, and that's what all other religions teach, 
This is what makes Christianity distinct from all other religions is the work has already been done by Jesus on the cross. We just believe and receive. Okay? When I get a present at Christmas and they put it in my hands and it's got a tag with my name on it, okay, all I have to do is open it and receive it, right? And I don't open it unless I really believe it's mine, usually. Sometimes I open other people's presents, but that usually when I was just younger. But I don't usually do that, okay? But uh, I didn't do anything to make it happen. I didn't earn it. I didn't. In fact, if I earned it, it's not a gift, is it? It's something that I've earned, okay? Salvation is a gift from God. And so I work at living out my faith, serving God and people out of the overflow of gratitude in my heart for what he's done for me, okay? I hope that makes sense. So when he says obeying the truth, he's still talking about obeying Scripture, but not to earn God's favor, but to thank him for who he is and to know that this is in my best interest and in the best interest of those around me. If I really want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm going to obey what he's taught me to do because he's loving, good, and great. And so why wouldn't I? And if I I want to love my neighbor as myself, then this is going to help me do that as well. This is going to guide me how to do that. In fact, Peter's going to talk about that a little bit as well. Okay, so we're obeying the truth. Okay, and and so that's and and that includes baptism, which is what they were doing. They're obeying part of what it what what Scripture teaches, what Jesus teaches. It doesn't make sense to go get baptized before you've trusted Christ. Okay, so I was baptized as an infant. Okay, so I didn't really have any say in that vote, right? I just but what my parents I think were trying to do was they were trying to say. I don't want to put words in their mouths, but they were trying to do what they thought was best in leading me to grow up in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, okay? And that's why they took me to church. That's why I got baptized as an infant. Knowing that, at a certain age, I would go through confirmation class. In confirmation class, you're supposedly at the age of accountability where you are old enough to understand your need for a Savior, right? Your need for forgiveness, okay? And I went through that class, and I have no idea what I learned I think I nodded my head enough times because they let me join the church, okay? So I, was, I joined the church at 12 or whatever, and I had my crosses and my Bible with my name on it and all, those, all the paraphernalia they gave you to encourage you to, to continue in your walk. I don't think I understood, it was, but I do believe it was a step towards the Lord. By the time I'm 18, I'm in college, and I hear I'm with my Christian friends. They're not, I'm sorry, no quotes. My Christian friends, even though I'm not a Christian, I'm a Christian, and I'm at a Christian concert, and they share the gospel, and I'm going, oh, I've never heard that before. And, and it, not that I hadn't been in the room when it had been spoken, but I'd never heard it. And so I respond by believing and receiving, even though it, there's an emotional turmoil going on in like. Because all of a sudden I realized, I wasn't a Christian all these years? What in the world am I doing at a Christian club and, and all my Christian friends? I don't understand. And so it was just, it was turbulent. But the point is, I trusted the Lord. And then it took me 10 years before I finally came around and let a church baptize me um, and, and saying, I'm being baptized because I have done this, not before. So we get the cart behind the, before the horse sometimes. So I, we want to obey. And the, one of the first steps is, obedience, is, is baptism. Okay, so then he continues, and he says, this, whenever you see so that, this is telling you the reason for the statement they just made, okay? Now that you've been purified yourselves, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, why? So that you have sincere love, and, and we want to be sincerely loved, and I probably would think you would actually, actually want to sincerely love other people. Hopefully that's true. That you have sincere love for each other. Why is that added in there? Why couldn't you just say for... for a sincere love for each other. Remember who he's writing to. 
He's writing to brothers and sisters in Christ, and he's calling on them to love each other. Okay? It doesn't mean we don't love all people. He's not saying not to do that, but he is pointing it out and drilling down on this, and he's saying, you guys got to love each other because I know you're tempted sometimes not to. Right? We've all been a part of churches where we're like, yeah, I'd be okay if they left. <laughs> you know? It's like, I don't love them very much, or I have a hard time. Li- I certainly don't like them. I might love them if I have to. <laughs> love your enemies, right? It's a choice. What, kind of, what is this kind of love? What is this love that he's calling us to love each other with? This is a, it's the, the Greek word is agape. You may have heard of that. It means sacrificial love. It's not romantic love. It's not even brotherly love. It's deeper than that. It costs you to love, okay? That means you might not even like the person you're loving, but you love them. And so how do you love somebody you don't even like? How do you do that? You serve them. You respect them. You encourage them, right? You do things for them because you care about them because the Lord cares about them. Now, we should treat all people that way because all people are image bearers, meaning we all bear the image of God. Okay, that goes back to Genesis. But we love one another because we're all part of a family. The family of God, those who have trusted and followed the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have been born again, born from above, born of the Spirit, which he's going to talk about in a second. We're a family, and we're going to spend forever together. And you're like, oh, no, I don't want to spend forever with my family. There's lots of space in the new heaven and the new earth, okay? There's plenty of room, okay? You can get away. Uh, all, all, um, all the introverts are like, oh, good, I can get away. Okay, good. You can get your own mountain. You can have your own mountain. There's no, you know, Okay. We love one another, okay? And there are songs and there are scriptures that basically say this. The world will know what God's love is like when they see Christians who don't even like each other love each other. Christians who are different socioeconomically, racially, and all other kinds of differences, and yet they love each other. Okay? That's what he's calling us to. And and that's what he says in the very next words. He gives us a command. He says, love one another deeply. This is the end of verse 22. Okay, I'll just start from the beginning. Now that you have been purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, here's the command. Love one another deeply from the heart. From the heart just means sincerely, genuinely, authentically, right? One of the cool things about the, um, the young generations that are coming up is that they highly, highly value authenticity. I love that. I love that. They should. We all should. Okay? That's a a huge way to fight things like hypocrisy and play acting and pretense. Verse 23, for you have been born again. This is why. This is why would I do this? Why would I love brothers and sisters in Christ deeply? Why would I do that? Well, for one, because it's obedience, obeying the truth, which is the first part of 22. But then this part, for you have been born again. Let's talk about that word. What does that mean? Okay? That's not just a Baptist word. It's a Bible word. Whenever the Bible talks about new birth or born again or born from above, it's talking about a spiritual um, event that happens in the life of the true Christian. When they trust Christ, when that moment of faith, I'm saved by grace through faith, when that justification occurs, we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 5 says we are regenerated, Okay. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, Ephesians 2. We were made alive in Christ through the regeneration of our soul. 
okay? That's a work of God. I can't do that. I can't do that. God does that by grace through faith, okay? And I don't know how it all fits together, and I don't know all the timing, how everything works, and I don't care, honestly. I'm just glad it works. I don't know how these lights work. Well, these are a bad example. Okay, maybe some other lights that actually work all the time, right? I, but I like it when they work. I don't have to understand. And that doesn't mean I don't seek understanding, and I'm glad, grateful for people who do because they make it work, make it possible. But I must be born again. I must be born from above. John chapter 3, when you have the Nick at night scene where Nicodemus comes late at night to Jesus so nobody will know he's there and says, what must I do? And Jesus says, Israel's teacher, and you don't even know the answer to this question? You must be born again. And then he starts trying to imagine what it would be like to crawl back up into his mind. Like, oh, gosh, please, no more of that. But, but it's a spiritual birth. It's not a physical birth. The first birth is physical. We're all here because we're born. I don't think anybody in here was, was hatched. Okay. No Mork and Mindy in here, right? Born of the flesh, born of the water is the way it's described in Scripture. And then the second birth is born of spirit. You are, I am a spiritual being. We're also physical beings, okay? This is good, encouraging to me because I don't want to be a spiritual being forever. And God is creating us to, that's why he's going to give us a new body in the new heaven and the new earth because this body, it ain't holding up real great, Okay? All right? And as I continue to age, I'm finding out how quickly things wear out, okay? And you're finding it out too. But the new body, there's no breakdown. There's no suffering. There's no pain, All right? And there's a lot of questions I would love to know the answers to. We'll find out. We'll find out. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed like the first time, right? These are wearing out, but with an imperishable seed. What's that? So we have the, the seed of Adam is the first, the perishable seed, which carries with it sin, by the way, which is why we're all born sinners, because Adam started it, Eve helped, all right? But it was his seed that passed down from generation to generation. You say, well, what about Jesus? Wasn't he born a sinner too? I mean, he was a man, he's born. Yes, he was born, praise God, of a virgin, no seed of man. You see why that matters? Born of a virgin. We'll talk about it at Christmas. And so he didn't, he wasn't born with the seed of sin, so he wasn't born a sinner. And so when he was tempted, he could resist temptation, and he did, though he was tempted as we are. And that's why he was an acceptable substitute on the cross for you and me. Anyone else dies on a cross for the sins of the world, and it doesn't work. We know it worked for Jesus because God raised him from the dead. He wouldn't have done that if it hadn't worked. It's beautiful. Born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable. And, and as I think about this, even now I'm thinking about the acorn because and the, and the pictures of Scripture where Jesus talks about the seed is the Word of God and our hearts are like soil and there's different conditions of heart. When I talk about heart conditions now, I don't go biology on me. I'm just talking spiritual imagery here, okay? I'm just talking analogies. It's like, it's like dirt. And some people's hearts are hard like this stage and the seed just sits on top and, and the enemy steals away the seed and they don't even take it in. And the next kind of soil is rocky, maybe even a hard pan layer and the, the seed hits and it, and it sprouts and it shoots roots down. But right below the surface, there's this hard pan and the little roots just go sideways. So it grows in a little bit until the sun comes out and it bakes it like that and withers and dies and there's no maturing and there's no fruit. And the next kind is good soil. And the plant, the seed hits the good soil and it starts to go and it, and it starts to grow and mature. And as it matures, it starts to get tangled up with bri briars. 
and sticker bushes, brambles, which represent the worries of this world, and it never matures and bears fruit. But the fourth kind of seed is the good soil with no briars, and it goes deep, and it sprouts, and it matures, and it bears fruit that will last. That's a picture of a follower of Christ. Now, think about that in light of this. That's what he's talking to. He's talking to people who are those kind of people, people who the seed of the gospel is hitting their heart, and it's going deep, and it's bearing fruit, even though they're discouraged by the trials they're going through. And so then he says, um, uh, through the living and enduring word of God, he describes God's word, that seed, as living and enduring. And we want to we kind of lump those two words together, and I want to split them apart. Enduring means it's going to last. God's word is going to last. In fact, he's going to tell us it's, going to, it's never going to stop. Okay, And that doesn't mean my Bible's going to live forever, but it means that the word of God, his words, his truth is going to last forever. But it says it's alive, living and enduring, alive. The word is alive. So I read a series, uh, a lot of Ted Decker novels. I love Ted Decker. He's a great writer. And he writes a series of fantasy novels that include a book called The Blank Book or The Book of Histories. I can't remember which. Anyway, the books are blank. And the character can write in the book on the blank page, um, make Greg trip on his way out today after the service. And Greg would trip on his way out after the service because there's power in the word, right? God said, let there be light. Did he not? And was there light? Okay, I'm more reliable than ours, right? He, he Let there be light. There was light. Word, God's word is alive. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 uh, says it this way. Bear with me. See if I can find it in my Bible. I think it's in here somewhere, right after Hezekiah. Just kidding. All right. The writer in Hebrews says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. I don't know about you, but that's got to be pretty sharp. Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Okay? In case you were wondering, yes, God knows your thoughts and he knows your attitudes. He knows my attitudes. He knows when I have an attitude. He knows, right, because he's omniscient and he has in the words... And he speaks truth to us, knowing that. Then he says this, quoting Isaiah 40. This is verse 24. For all people, this includes you and me, are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. And then he describes why this is significant. The grass withers and the flowers fall. We're temporary. We're a nanosecond on the timeline to eternity. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Don't forget it's alive. Don't forget it's alive. And then he ends uh, this part. He says, and this is the word that was preached to you. And that's the gospel. So we have good news, which is what gospel means. We have the truth, and we have the word that was preached to them. Those are, and, and he's going to add another word called spiritual milk. Watch this. Verse two, uh, verse, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and this is where we'll end. Therefore, say it with me. Every time we see the word therefore, we ask the question, What's the therefore, therefore? And, that, and it's to refer us back to what has just been written or said. And that's to, So keep that fresh in our minds as we read this next part. Rid yourselves or get rid of, okay, kind of think of um, you're wearing a, a jacket and you just spilt um, your whole Starbucks on your, it's just all over you, okay? And you're like, oh, I got to take this. I got to get rid of this. It's stained and it's ruined, right? Get rid, your, rid yourselves of and then he lists five things, all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. 
Okay, so he says, so first he's telling us, go love one another deeply with the heart, with all your heart. And then he says here, get rid of malice, deceit, envy, slander, and another one. Okay, and, and he said, get rid of these things. Okay, because if you do these things, you're not, lo- you're, not, you're not loving, you're actually working against what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, what's malice? Malice is when I intend to do something that means you harm. I'm, I'm actually trying to hurt you. It might not be physical, but I'm trying to hurt you. I do something. That's malicious. Okay? And I could tell you story after story after story. My brother and I, three years apart, I'm the older, he's the bigger, and we went at it. Okay? We didn't love each other. We hated each other. And there were many times I could tell you stories where I did some pretty stupid things to try to kill him, literally. All right? He's alive. I'm alive. We love each other. All right. So um, malice, all deceit, okay? This kind of gets it. When we talk about lying and we start getting into ethics and the nuances of lying and things like this, this is what it boils down to. Are you deceiving someone? Are you attempting to deceive someone? That's wicked. I don't care what your reason. I don't care what color your lie is. If you're trying to deceive someone, it's wrong. It's evil. He uh, continues with hypocrisy, and we've talked about this a number of times. It's play acting. It's pretending you're something you're not in real life, okay? So it's one thing to be in a sitcom, and you're pretending to be a priest who's very spiritual, and you're doing everything right. It's another thing to be a priest in real life, and you're play acting because you're really not sincere. You're really not devoted. You're just getting a paycheck, okay? I could say that about pastors. I could say that about all kinds of it doesn't even have to be religious. But Jesus is saying, when you and I pretend to be somebody we're not, that's evil. Okay? This is where, that's why I don't like the word pretense. Pretense, pretending to be someone you're not. Envy is not just wanting something someone else has. It's wanting them not to have it. See, wishing them ill. And then the last one is uh, slander. Uh, I saw somewhere that Satan means slander. Okay, this is probably the one we really, I don't know about you, but I mean, I think we struggle with this one, but, but not in person, not to our, each other's face. We do this online, on social media, and we usually do this to people we've never met because we don't like what we think they are. I don't even read, I, I, I mean, I just don't read y'all's posts, okay? I'm just saying, I don't read your posts because I don't want to have to call you. And I know, I know, I get calls, so, you know, right? It's so easy to do because they're not there, and they don't seem like, I mean, it's same thing when you're driving down the road and you want to say something to somebody in the other lane. Well, it, you, you, you're emboldened to say it because they're not in the car with you, right? If they were sitting next to you, you probably wouldn't say it. Because those, those means of communication, whether it's online or in different vehicles or whatever, there are times when they feel distant enough to where I feel courageous enough to say something that I really wouldn't say to their face. And sometimes it's slanderous, which means it's not true. And sometimes we think it's true and it's not true because we're just believing what somebody else said online and we're just buying it. And this is part of the reason why we have the, the toilet bowl online that we have of, of just garbage. Let's not contribute to it. How about that? Let's not contribute. We don't have to be the police and tell everybody that they're doing it. Let's just not do it. Let's let what we post be edifying and uplifting. Man, if I just did that, we would be making progress here. Okay, let's, um, verse 2, then he takes a third. So we we got this, um, go love one another, right, deeply from the heart. 
get rid of that junk, okay, all that evil wickedness. And then the last one is grow up, right? I'm a parent, so I've said that a few times. I'm a youth pastor. I've said that a few times as a youth pastor. I'm a pastor. Okay, anyway, here we go. So it says in verse uh, 3 or 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Why? So that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. We had four girls, and so I've seen four newborns come through our house, and they all loved milk, okay? They all grew up, and, and, and they, they loved it, and when they wanted it, we all knew when they wanted it because we found out they, could, they were very loud when they wanted to be. They were craving something they'd already had that they liked, right? And Terea's back there going, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's right. Newborns want milk when they want it now. They want it now. But they crave it, right? They need it. They want it. Kind of like vegetables, except we don't want it. Kind of like the Word of God. Pure spiritual milk is referring to the Word of God. It's imagery that's used in Scripture. Peter uses it a little differently than Paul uses it. And the writer of Hebrews uses it too. They use it kind of like, okay, when you're learning early on in your faith, you, you, you start with milk, the basic teachings of Christ, and then you graduate into bigger teachings, and that's like steak. And it's like, this is not that. This is, you need what's essential all the time. And what's essential is God's Word, and it's pure spiritual milk, okay? It's pure because it's from God. He is holy, and He only says what is holy and good and righteous and just, and we need it. And he makes it available to us. But he, he's connecting this with the newborn. He wants us to, every time we see a baby now, especially when they're crying, let's, we're going to assume they're hungry, and we're going to go, that's how I should be towards God's word. Not crying because I don't understand, okay? Because sometimes we don't understand. Crying because I need it and I want it, right? It, I mean, let's just be honest, okay? I'm going to raise my hand. How many of us have ever not felt like reading the word of God? Anybody in the house? Just me? All right, all right, yeah. Sometimes we don't feel like it. We don't crave it, okay? Some of that's on us, okay, because we aren't nurturing a heart for it. And some of that, honestly, sometimes we just don't feel like it. But we don't have a religious feeling. We have a religious faith because faith doesn't change. The content, the objectivity of what we're faithing in, believing in, doesn't change. Jesus Christ, who he is and what he does, that doesn't change. Our feelings, though, the Bible tells us can deceive us. Now, they're legit, they're good, we need them in the sense that they're real. Whatever you feel, that's real, okay? But we're not ruled by them. We're ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. All authority, remember? All authority. Jesus has all authority so that all nations might pledge all allegiance to him. Likewise, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Okay, it's a command too. Crave, go do that. So that means that I'm to nurture in myself, a co- and I would call it, praying and cooperating with the Holy Spirit. So I'm praying to God, asking for him to give me a greater desire for God's word, and then I'm, I'm going to cooperate with it when he does. Okay? And then he says, um, so that, here's the reason why, by it you may grow up in your salvation, and now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. All right, I'll finish with that in a second. Grow up in your salvation. So I quoted this verse. I'm going to do it again because James has this summed up for us beautifully in James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy. Remember now, these folks are dealing with trials and tribulations. 
not unlike you and I, they're different ones, but nevertheless, we're all going through stuff, okay? And life is hard. In the midst of that, James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And I know that sounds like crazy talk. You must, you, you must be one of those Christians if you believe that, okay? Well, let me tell you, I don't Christians believe that too, but rejoice in this. Why? Because the testing of your faith, which is what is happening when God allows trials to come our way, develops perseverance in us. It gives us the desire and the ability to keep on keeping on when we don't feel like it. Okay? Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Why? So that you and I may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Grow up. It's almost like he's saying, you can't grow up unless you go through trials. I don't know. I'm not going to publish that, but that sounds pretty good. Okay? Might tweet it. Just kidding. All right. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, that's kind of weird, right? Taste the Lord. It's just like, nah. Okay. It's imagery. Okay? And it kind of brings back um, Psalm 34.8. Says about tasting the Lord and the Lord is good, that kind of thing. I can't remember, I can't quote it. Half of y'all can. When you have received blessing from the Lord and you know it's from the Lord, you've tasted. When you've heard somebody say something true from God's word, and it's and you're like, oh, I finally understand. You've tasted. When you've been forgiven by somebody, when you have wronged them and you know you've wronged them and they forgive you, no strings attached, you've tasted. In fact, when you've forgiven somebody that way, you've tasted. Okay? These are all blessings of the Lord that are there when we obey the truth that's written here. When we live this out as an overflow of gratitude for the salvation we've received by believing in who Christ is and what he's done. All right. Lest you think I'm starting to preach another sermon, I'm going to read one more verse, but I promise that's it. Verse 21. So go backwards. I know, Darren, you're not going forward. Through him, through Jesus, this is it in the psalm. Through Jesus, you believe, he's talking to these Christians. Through Jesus, you believe in God, who raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Okay? Are you born again? Have you tasted? Do you believe he rose from the dead, that he died for the sins of the world and he rose again? Do you believe that? Do you believe it's true? For you, and I don't mean because it's relative faith, I just, I'm just asking you, is that true for you? Are you struggling with malice and deceit and envy and slander and the one I keep forgetting? Maybe it's because you haven't been born from above yet, okay? But there's hope, a living hope available to you to all of us, to not just be saved, justified, but to be sanctified. That means become more like Jesus and one day glorified, going home with him and spending the rest of eternity in our new body that will never break down, hurt, or will never suffer because this is just a momentary thing right here and now. But I get it. Right here and now feels like forever, especially if you're dealing with things like mental illness, especially if you're dealing with things like chronic pain, especially when you're dealing with uh, unresolved divorce or relationships that are broken and you can't do anything about it. I get it. Those things are real, and they're not going away just because I preach this and you believe it. They're not going away, but your perspective on them does change. Okay? 
Remember last week, Peter's in the crow's nest on the ship, and he looks out, and they've been at sea for months, and they're out of food, and they're out of water, and they're ready to mutiny the captain. And Peter says, land ho! And everybody's spirits are lifted. Did their circumstances change? No, they were, just, they were right there before they knew they were there. But they believed in the source of the one who said, land ho, there's hope. And when we recognize this for what it is, the living hope written alive, enduring, and transforming. It changes our perspective. It doesn't change our circumstances, but it gives us what we need to go through them in a way that honors the Lord and is a blessing to us and others. And isn't that what we want at the end of the day anyway for us and those around us, those we care about? Yeah. If you're a person who's never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you're like, but I want that. I feel like the Lord is drawing me. I want, yeah, I want to say yes. I want to do that. All you do is you just tell God you want to do that. You just tell God, I'm going to turn away from this broad road that leads to destruction. I'm I'm not going that. That's the way I've been walking, and it has not been going well. And I'm going to go down this narrow road that leads to life. I understand there's going to be trials still. I understand, but I'm not alone. I'm following Jesus and those who are doing the same. And I'm going to lead someone else to follow me as I follow Christ too. And I'm going to start having conversations with others so they can find out how they can get on the narrow way too. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. I needed it. I need it. I need it every day because my tendency is to get off the rails and off the narrow way. I confess it and I repent of it that I give in sometimes to those temptations. Lord, we, we pray that you would give us what we need to stay on that path, to help us keep our eyes on Jesus, the living word and the written word, that we might have the courage to obey even when it's not popular. Lord, help us to love one another sacrificially. Help us to get rid of the junk that is dragging us down and hurting people and help us to grow up in Christ, the hope of glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.